Hello, everybody. I'm Ryan from Fireside Yankees, joined by national MLB insider Jack of MLB Nerds. Jack, I really appreciate you coming on. We've we've been good friends for a while, so it's good to have you on the podcast. Actually, I think this is this is actually my first time having you on here. Um, and you know, you've been uh, pretty been pretty active, uh, especially with the with the uh, recent report that you had about the Dodgers being on the verge of trading for Tyler Glass now and Manuel Margot. Can you tell us a little bit about that process and you know, kind of you know the you had a whole night where basically you didn't know, you know, there was nothing until Rosenthal talked about it in the morning. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about how the trade market's moving now that Glassnell's situation might be figured out? Yeah, man, Ryan, I, re- I really appreciate you having me. Um, and yeah, talking about that trade that I had reported um, on Tuesday night that the Dodgers were on the verge of acquiring Tyler Glassnell and Manuel Margot from the Rays. And, um, you know, my understanding is that was almost done and, you know, there is still some things to be worked out, though, with the financials. You know, Glassdale might be looking for an extension the Dodgers. And um, the prospect capital seems like that's kind of, you know, what's been talked about for quite a while. Um, and regarding the rest of the pitching market, you know, um, or, or trade market with the pitchers, you know, one guy I want to highlight is Dylan Cease. Now, Dylan Cease is definitely available. You know, the, the thing is, you know, he's quite expensive. He, he's way more expensive than a Tyler Glassdale player, partially because t- team control, partially because durability and, and potential with his stuff. Um, you know, I know the Braves were really, you know, hard in on Cease for a while, and then kind of the, the, the price got jacked up quite a bit, and I think they took a step back, primarily because they didn't want to pay it. Also, the Braves don't really have great prospects. Um, the Braves were players for Tyler Glass now. They made a couple offers, um, and there were, there were certainly names exchanged there with the Rays. Um, unfortunately, you know, for them, nothing really came to fruition. It looks like Glass now is going to be heading to L.A., um, but I would say regarding Cease, you know, teams to watch, you know, Baltimore is still a team to watch, I would say. You know, if his price comes down to it, maybe the Braves again, they were really interested. You know, Texas is looking for a pitcher. Um, so I would say, you know, those teams and, and the Dodgers, you know, we'll talk about, you know, Yoshinobu Yamamoto in a bit here, I'm sure. Um, but, but the Dodgers, you know, they're, you know, after Glassnow, they're still looking for a starting pitcher. So you can't rule them out, especially with the amount of prospect capital they have. Yeah, absolutely. I know that a lot of people, like, especially like when I do live streams, they're asking like, oh, the Dodgers are going to go in on Yamamoto? The answer is pretty clearly yes at this point. Uh, and, you know, kind of staying on theme with pitching here, and honestly, just staying on theme with Yamamoto, everybody wants to know about Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the sweepstakes, where their favorite teams stand on that front. What can you tell us about some of the front runners and who has kind of boosted their stock during these meetings? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I've i been saying this for quite a while, and I, I'm going to stand by it. I think this is kind of the consensus that this is a three-team race. This is the Yankees, this is the Mets, and this is the Dodgers. Now, I know your your audience is primarily Yankees, so I'll talk about them first. The Yankees love where they're positioned. You know, they have loved where they're positioned for quite a while. Yamamoto loves the idea of pinstripes. Um, and, you know, my understanding is his preference is the Yankees or Dodgers relative to the Mets. Now, I'll talk about the Mets in a second because not all hope is lost there. But um, regarding the Yankees, you know, Yamamoto loves the idea of playing on the big stage with the Yankees in New York with the tradition, you know, of the, the Japanese players that played there in the past. Um, so I would feel pretty good if I was a Yankees fan regarding Yamamoto Though, you know, nothing is done, nothing is set in stone, and obviously there are still other teams involved, you know, like the Dodgers. The Dodgers, you know, obviously they had a meeting with their super team with, you know, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, and their newly acquired Shohei Otani. So I think, you know, the Dodgers are also a player. They, he also loves the idea of the West Coast with the Dodgers, you know, also rich history there, and, you know, playing alongside, you know, Shohei Otani, the best player ever, definitely the best player of Jap- Japanese history, you know, obviously going to, to now, just I'd say the grand scheme of things, he's the best player ever. Um but regarding the Dodgers, you know, I think they are also a player. But, you know, my understanding is the the Mets, who are the other team in this sweepstakes, their primary concern is the Yankees. It's not to say the Dodgers aren't very much in. 
I just think the the lore of the Yankees for Yamamoto would make them, you know, give them a slight edge. And also, you know, it's likely that the Yankees would pay a significant more, a significantly larger amount than the Dodgers would in a contract. Now, regarding the Mets, you know, I would say the Mets, it, with them, it's it's going to come down to money, right? Like, is the Mets, you know, are the Mets Yamamoto's number one choice? The answer is probably no. But, you know, money talks. And, and Steve Cohen can offer the most amount of money, you know, you, you'll ever see for a guy like Yamamoto. You know, I think this goes into the 300s for sure. Not for sure, but I, I, have, a, I have a pretty good suspicion this goes into the 300s. And, you know, the Mets will be amongst the finalists for bidders. But, you know, do I think... Like, it's kind of tough because you have your money and then you have the interest and then, you know, kind of the value. It's going to come down really to the gap between the Yankees-Dodgers and then the Mets. And, and, you know, does that money gap outweigh Yamamoto's interest to play for a historic franchise like the Yankees or Dodgers? So I think it's really a three-horse you know horse race at this point. You know, if something else, you know, another team comes in like the Giants, I'd be shocked personally. I know they met, but I would be shocked. So um, I would look for those three teams, and this is going to come down to the wire here probably next week or so. Yeah, no, and then, you know, another factor this too is even if it goes to 300 millions, you also have to pay the posting fee on top of that. So yeah. this yeah. is an expensive, you know, we're not, this, you might, you're, you might end up seeing the most money ever paid for a starting pitcher, even if it's not just a contract. Like, I know Cole might end up with the higher number, but in terms of overall money paid or committed to, it's probably, gonna, hey, I mean, it's possible. I'm not going to lie, I mean, I could see this going 10 for 325, you know, to be honest. Like, that's just the contract with the posting fee. I think you're looking at a guy with Yamamoto who, you know, all these teams have this guy as pretty much a top five starter in MLB right now. He's 25. It's almost, you never see a 25-year-old who's a top five, you know, pitcher in the sport become a free agent. Um, so, you know, I, I think you're you're going to see a, a larger contract than you, you initially expected. Now, I saw a lot of people saying he may get $200 million to begin with. We're way past that. You know, I initially predicted about, you know, 9 for 250 I think we're past that, too. Um, though it's kind of unclear the top end, but I, I think we're looking at above 250 for sure, just considering the nature of the bidding and, um, you know, how things have kind of panned out so far. Yeah, and another thing, too, is no qualifying offer, right? Like, you typically no, see yeah. pitchers like this have that, or players of this caliber Absolutely. guaranteed to have that. And I think that's, like, led to literally all of the top markets are involved, which is another thing. We rarely see, you know, this is the first time Cohen and the Yankees are going head-to-head for a free agent. The Dodgers are involved, right? Like, usually when this is a situation, I mean, the Dodgers usually aren't even in the market of giving out these 10-year deals, right? Like, Otani, Betzels are kind of exceptions, but, like, for Cole, the Yankees were able to just give the ninth year. Or for Harper, the Dodgers weren't willing to go the length that the Phillies were in terms of years. So, this is certainly going to be, I mean, I think a historic sweepstakes. But, you know, I I guess my final question regarding the pitching market right now, uh, Mm -hmm. who do you think would be the next starter off the board after Yamamoto? And which teams can we expect to be in that race for that starter? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, I like to think it's going to be Jordan Montgomery, um, but I couldn't tell you for sure. You know, I think Monty's market is pretty extensive to the point where a team doesn't get Yamamoto, they may pivot there. You know, I know the Mets are really interested. I know the Red Sox are interested. You know, that, that that's kind of a fit there. Um, but I'm I'm kind of not clued in on how much money he's going to get, which is kind of the thing. You know, my prediction, you know, pure speculation here. He's going to get around $150 million for maybe six, seven years, which way more, you know, Monty doing really well for himself relative to what he probably would have gotten before. Um, but I, I don't know exactly where the money stands, but I do know Mets are really in interested and, and the Red Sox are interested. And you could probably, you know, maybe see the Dodgers. And I know there's been some reports of the Yankees being interested. Now, I haven't heard that in particular, but those who reported it, you know, I wouldn't necessarily doubt them. So, you know, you can count them as potentially a team. So 
look, I, I think Monty is a guy who really boosted his stock clearly in the playoffs. He's reworked a bit of his repertoire in terms of pitch usage over the last couple of years, and he's really made himself into an established two-setter, I would say, in this league. Now, do I think, do I want to, would I personally want to take that bet of Jordan Montgomery being a two-setter for five years? Not really. But, you know, there are teams out there who, frankly, I think would. Um, and I think we'll kind of see that come, you know, after Yamamoto with the pitching market should probably start to move. And I know it's it's frustrating for for every MLB fan, including myself. You know, obviously, I, I you know, I'm a fan also. You know, it's frustrating to see, oh, Soto goes off the board, the market will move. Oh, when Otani goes off the board, market will move. Oh, well, all right, now it's Yamamoto, you know, he goes, market will I, I understand how frustrating that is, but you have to understand the nature of these things. You know, you're waiting for the guy to set the market to then, you know, boost the value of everybody else. And I think Yamamoto, frankly, will boost the, you know, guy's value for like a guy like Blake Sell. You know, John Heyman reported yesterday that Blake Sell is looking for $240 million. Now, do I think he gets that? Absolutely not. You know, I, I doubt that. You know, do I do I think he gets like close to 200 Probably. I mean, this is a guy that, that gives you five really good innings. And that's very valuable. But... To be a starting pitcher in this league, you know, I think we've kind of seen, you know, from from 2020 and, and the evolution of kind of the new pitching analytics and and the way we look at pitching, you know, we're looking for guys who can go way deeper into games. And obviously, everyone's looking for that, but I think there was a little bit of time there we weren't really caring too much about that. It was a lot of just stuff, 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 especially with the sticky stuff. But a guy like Blake Snell, he is the epitome of stuff, you know, quality of stuff over, you know, quantity of innings. So... I think a guy like Blake Snell, you know, I know the Phillies were in on him even after Aaron Nola. Um, you know, he wants to pitch for the Mariners. I, I heard him say that somewhere, uh, but, you know, it's that, or he didn't say necessarily. I think Mike Tirico said it on a broadcast, but I, I kind of doubt the Mariners would spend that kind of money on a starting pitcher like Blake Snell. That would be a significant discount. Um, so I'm not really too clued on Blake Snell's market at the moment, um, but I expect him to go probably later than Montgomery unless something, you know, something happens that I'm not clued on. Yeah, and as you kind of alluded to with, like, having teams pivot, right? Like, now, if you're, let's say, a team like the Mets or the Red Sox, like, if you don't have Yamamoto, you've, you're trying to find somebody, right? Like, when you go into a, an offseason as a big market spender and, and you don't walk away with anybody, you walk away with a lot of unhappy fans. That yeah. kind of plays a small, that, that plays at least somewhat of a role in decision-making, from my understanding. Um, and, you know, speaking of another big kind of looming contract situation – Juan Soto, right? Like Juan Soto, Yankees get Juan Soto. Everyone's happy, but the conversation's now immediately shifted to extension talks. I know that it's unlikely. I understand that, you know, Scott Boris clients, they really don't extend. Even the examples of extensions are like, you know, guys signing them well before pre-arbitration or just players not of Juan Soto's caliber. Um, you know, how interested do you think the Yankees are going to be at least in making a strong attempt at a preseason extension? And how does their pursuit of Yamamoto affect their willingness to go long-term with a guy like Soto? Yeah, good question. I, I mean, regarding that extension, you know, my understanding is, you know, they're expected to approach Soto with a potential extension, you know, probably in person. Um, though at this point, you know, it seems, again, unlikely he would accept anything unless, you know, the Yankees really bring out the brake trucks here. But, um, you know, the Yankees will try, you know, they'll give an effort, they'll give an attempt. But the expectation from everybody around baseball is that, you know, he's going to go into free agency. Now, does that mean the Yankees still won't have an upper hand come free agency? Absolutely not. You know, it's well documented that every player, almost every player, think, you know, the Yankees treat their players almost better than every other organization. You know, they make it really, really good for, for players and their families, and they really love that. So, you know, it's it's kind of likely that, that, not likely necessarily, but there's definitely a chance that, you know, Soto's year in pinstripes will definitely benefit the Yankees in those negotiations. Now, do I think a deal happens preseason? Probably not. 
Um, and how do I think that impacts Yamamoto? I'm not sure it does. You know, I think, it, it, you know, the Yankees view Yoshinobu Yamamoto is like not a general generational type pitcher, but you know, if you can get the, 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 the category below that, the Yankees love this guy. The Yankees have loved this guy for years. You know, we know, we kind of know that they, they saved his number for him last year. Like this is a guy that the Yankees are over the moon with. And I think the Yankees will be further deep in bidding than maybe some people think. And, you know, Bob Nightingale yesterday reported pretty casually, but did report that the Yankees are favorites for Yoshinomi Yamamoto. And, and frankly, while I wouldn't use that word necessarily in just regards to the other, out of respect for their teams, you know, they're really confident. They love their chances and they love the, the pitcher. So do I think it impacts one or the other? You're looking at a generational type hitter with Juan Soto. You're looking at an almost generational type pitcher with Yoshinobi Yamamoto, at least in the Yankees' eyes. I'm not sure they would really intertwine. Um, I haven't heard too much on that just because the Soto extension stuff is so, you know, so much in its infant stages and it's pretty unlikely it happens. Um, but you know, my, my best guess in terms of speculate, you know, speculation and just you know, hearing a couple things is that it would not impact the other, you know, one or the other too much. Yeah. And I imagine that like, if the Yankees were to sign Yamamoto and then they were to even just approach Soto by an extension it indicates they're willing to keep both long-term, right? Like, oh, I think part of this is too, like. Yeah, they may not, they're not, may not, they're probably not, like, 95, let's say, or 90% chance not having the extension. The fact that the Yankees at least show interest should, I think, alleviate some concerns, but we'll have to wait and see there. Um, and, you know, kind of shifting gears a little bit here towards more of the uh, Otani sweepstakes. Now, I know that the Yankees weren't involved, right? Like, this isn't going to be a Yankee-based thing, I understand, but yeah. it did come to, like, a very insane end, right? Like, you have... On Friday, it's like, oh my God, is he going to be a Dodger, uh, a Blue Jay? And then a day later, he's a Dodger, right? He announced it himself. You know, what was your read on the Otani situation? And how real was the buzz with Toronto? Was he, were they just a leverage tool? Like, how real was that? I mean, look, I think Shohei Otani's second choice was the Toronto Blue Jays. Do I think that mattered too much at the end? Not really. I think, you know, it was reported by a couple people, including Jeff Passan of ESPN, that, you know, you know, Otani knew where he wanted to play at the beginning of the season. And we kind of all knew this. Like, you know, realistically speaking, I thought he'd be a Dodger the whole time. You know, the, the Jays had me a little bit confused at the end just because of the Plains fiasco and, and everything else that kind of came with it. But at the end of the day, you know, this was almost a one-team race. I think the Jays certainly, you know, the Giants definitely offered the same terms as, as you know, the as the Dodgers, as Farhan, you know, said. But that wasn't really under consideration too much. The Jays... You know they were a, they were certainly a player. I'm not sure where their offer went, but I don't think it was quite 700 million dollars, even with deferrals and whatnot. So, you know, I I think realistically this was always a one team race largely. But you know, it's a little bit confusing at the end there. I'm still kind of unclear because let's be real. You know, John Morosi's not going to lie and throw away his career, so he clearly heard something. I kind of wonder where that was from, whether at the Otani camp and and otherwise. You know, so. I, I still am confused myself and still trying to put it together myself, but, you know, I'm kind of under the impression that it was kind of a one-team race the whole time, and we're kind of talking ourselves in circles here. Yeah, no, I mean, it just, like, I think a big thing people don't understand is just when you go to play for the Dodgers, you know not only are you getting a chance to win every year, but you're going to you're gonna have your skill set optimized. Like, they have everything available for you to get Absolutely. better at baseball, right? Like, even yep. a guy like Mookie Betts, you would argue he's gotten better with the Dodgers in some respects, right? Freddie yep. Freeman has remained unbelievable, right? Like, there are plenty he's of players. Yeah, right, yeah. Like, them, you would say these are top-of-the-line players that you would tell them, you know, going to any organization, don't change a thing, just be yourself, 
you're that guy already, and they've improved with the Dodgers, and they get incredible buy-in as well. So mm-hmm. not not hard to see why you would want to go to the Dodgers, especially if you're Shohei Otani. I mean, that, that's a, one hell of a lineup. But, you know, uh, who do you think could end up being a guy that's on the trade block or is somebody who ends up getting traded who would shock most people? Like a guy that, like, people really aren't thinking of as a trade candidate that you think could emerge as one. Maybe not necessarily traded, right? I'm not putting you to the fire here, but somebody you think is going to get some mentions that you wouldn't expect to. I mean, this is a, it's a good question. Um, I would look at a guy, maybe one of the Mariners pitchers, you know, even if that's like not like maybe Logan Gilbert, you know, this is a guy that isn't mentioned too much in trade talks, but I think if a deal made sense for both sides, you know, that deal would happen. Um, he's not untouchable, but he's pretty expensive. You know, I know at least a few teams that have reached out, you know, that I can't really say on camera here, but I know of a few teams that have reached out and there's certainly interest, um, you know, are the Mariners inclined to trade him? Not really, but the Mariners really do need hitting. They miss on pretty much all the big fish, you know, hitting wise. And I know Cody Bellinger's still out there, but you know, at the moment, it, it, they really need hitting. And I think it would really benefit them the way my my personal opinion is it would really benefit them to trade one of their pitchers for maybe one of the Orioles' top, like Kobe Mayo. You know, you trade, you know, maybe Brian Wu, Logan Gilbert for Kobe Mayo. Like that, that would make a lot of sense to me. You know, do I think that happens? I don't know. But would I be, like, over the moon shocked if one of them got traded? No, would not be. Yeah, another aspect of this, too, is, you know, you kind of alluded to this with Snell and Montgomery. Logan Gilbert makes starts, right? Like, there, there is a lack of guys who can just, hey, go make 30 starts for me this year and, and go th- or th- go make 180 innings pitched, right? Like, I've heard a lot of people say 180 is the new 200 in terms of innings pitched. So yeah. there is definitely value there. Um, and, and then for our last question... Um, you know, so far, you know, I know this is still kind of early. There's still some some big fish that are going to, you know, find new homes. But for the most part, like Otani's got come off the market. Soto's come off the market. We kind of have an understanding of who's in and who's not in on uh, Yamamoto. Who would you say is the biggest winner of the offseason so far? And who would you say is the biggest loser for the offseason? And for the loser, how would you go about turning around their winter? That's a great question. I'll start with the winners. You know, Yankees-Dodgers. Like, I'm sorry. You, know, you get two generational players, true generation. Like, these are guys like... You can't replace, you know, so I have to say this too. You know, I can't, I like to return for the Padres, but you're trading a generational type player, even if it's for a year, you know, I, I kind of, you know, my opinion would have been, been a little different the last couple of years. You know, I, I kind of, my opinion on one year rentals has shifted a little bit, especially with a guy like Juan Soto, you know, so I would say those are the two biggest winners. Sorry for being boring, but that's kind of where we're at right now. And I would say the biggest loser is the Seattle Mariners. Now, you know, these guys have gotten worse. They've not gotten better. They've gotten worse. They've shed a lot of money. But what are they going to do with this money? You know, they're not really in on Yamamoto. They were not really in on Soto at all. They were not in on Otani. You know, like maybe Cody Ballinger. But is Cody Ballinger really a, a franchise needle-moving move? No. Like, I, I, I think the Mariners, I don't know what they're doing. I think most people around baseball are kind of confused what they're doing. Because, you know, Jerry DePoto says they're going to increase Pelican. Okay, who are they going to pay? You know, the free agents, you know, so Matt Chapman. Like, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But... He's probably not, again, a franchise-changing type player anymore. So, you know, do I do I think – do I, I just don't know what the Mariners are doing. I think they're confusing. I think most people around baseball don't know what they're doing. You know, I think, you know, I, I, I understand you have to slash payroll. I, I, I get that even though it sucks for the game. I, I understand that logistical part. But, you know, they haven't really supplemented anything. You know, they, they traded Jared Kelnick, who's projected to be a starting player on their team – for a salary dump, you know, it was pure salary dump, you know, then they, they trade Eugenio Suarez, another salary dump, 
you know? I, I think it's kind of ridiculous, kind of like, you know, Seattle could be a contender. They have really good pieces. They got really good young, controllable pitching. Why not supplement that young, controllable pitching, you know, with some good hitting? And frankly, offensively, outside of J-Rod, you know, Cal Riley is really good. Again, he's a guy you may see moved in the next couple of years, you know? You know, it's it's like, it's kind of bleak offensively. You know, J.P. Crawford was really good last season. Is he going to be as good as he was last season? He's a good player. Do I think? Probably not. 125 WRC plus bat? Probably not. You know, I, I think the Mariners are really stuck in a, a Brewers type situation, if you know what I'm trying to say. You know, they have all the pitching in the world. They can't find hitters. Maybe not quite to the extent of the Brewers because the Brewers really have no hitting. Like, they have nothing. But the, the, the Mariners at least have a couple pieces. Like, they just need more. And... I don't understand what they're doing. So I would say the biggest loser are the Mariners. And to get them to be better, hitters. Yeah, you hitters. Like maybe, you know, you move Gilbert for, you know, to the Cardinals maybe for one of their, a couple of their hitters. You know, it's, it's maybe at this point, it's less so about that one star and more so we just need good hitters on this team. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, Juan Soto was a perfect fit for them. You know, they had all the prospect capital in the world, the Mariners, the, 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 the Padres, you know, my understanding, you know, according to sources from the situation with the Padres, you know, they would have preferred to trade with the, the, the Mariners if they were interested just because of the players they had. But, you know, the second fiddle was the Yankees. And the Yankees, you know, clearly they were able to pony up what they had to. So, Yeah, no. And, and you know, when, you, when I think reports came out about, like, hey, they're trading Kelnick. They're trading uh, Suarez. It's like in the back of my head, I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, crap. Are they going like, to try to gear up for Soto? But then it's like you look at their lineup and, like, man, Juan Soto can't even fix that. I don't know if yeah, he can no. fix that on his own. Right. Uh, and, you know, and, and relative to the context of their roster, like, you mentioned Cody Bellinger. Let's say they hadn't traded Suarez and Kelnick. If you add Bellinger to that, okay, you feel pretty good about yourself, actually. You know, you you've essentially ran it back. You subtracted Hernandez. You added Bellinger. Look, is it, a, is it you know, the most sound strategy in the world to say, let's just get rid of strikeouts and add contact? Not always, especially in the way the game's headed, but... You could argue Bellinger is a better player than Hernandez pretty confidently. Like, you wouldn't have to – it's not like a stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, no, I would definitely agree with them as the biggest loser. I was going to think about saying the Orioles, but, like, it's not like they've gotten worse. They just haven't done anything. But, I mean, who's really gone off the starter market that's, like, big time that they could have gotten? They weren't going to get Aranola. Like, is Luis Severino changing them? Really, Erod's the only guy that I, you know, heard them link to that got off the board. But even then, like – is he really changing their franchise? Probably not. Would have been right. nice, but yeah. Hey, maybe they get Dylan Cease, and that's still out there. For the Mariners, yeah. who's out there? That's exactly. really the question. That's the big thing with the Mariners. Right. Um, and, you know, overall, like, I, I think that this offseason still got some interesting sagas left to play out. Like, I'm going to be very interested to see how the starting pitching market plays out without yeah. Yamoda. I wonder what teams, like, say, hey, you know what? We'll make this guy available. As mentioned with the Mariners, like, maybe the Mariners say, hey, everyone's looking for pitching, and we've got pitching, and there are teams willing to give us some crazy offers. Maybe something does get done, but... Um, you know, on that front, Jack, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Jack, where can we find you? Where can we find you on social media? Uh, you know, obviously I know, but for, for the fans and for everyone listening, go ahead, man. Yeah, of course, man. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, and thank you to the audience. You've gotten this point for, for listening. I really appreciate it. You can find my Twitter, you know, for those of you who don't know me, at MLB Nerds. That's my uh, primary Twitter where I do rankings and I do, you know, analysis of players. And you can find my reporting on Azule Heron. That's at Azule Heron, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y-H-A-R-O-N on Twitter. Uh, and that's where all my reporting is. So um, if you want to continue to see stuff like this, you know, uh, make sure to check that out. And also make sure you drop a like, all that stuff on the Fireside Yankee stuff. Subscribe to them, you know, subscribe, leave the good ratings and all that. And, you know, we'll do more stuff like this in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, man. And look, I'll drop everything uh, links-wise in the description. Guys, he's doing great stuff with reporting. Uh, you know, him, having him Marino on back-to-back has been awesome. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Peace out.